Well, we have been in a series called Big Ideas of the Bible. We're actually finishing it up today. Nine weeks of Big Ideas of the Bible. And we started with redemption, remission, and reconciliation. And we have run through all kinds of things. We've talked about baptism. We've talked about covenant. We talked last week about grace and mercy and what was the difference between the two and why you need both of them. But we're finishing up this week with spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, I'm calling this lesson power to the people because Jesus died so he could give his people power. He didn't just die so we could go to heaven. Thank God for that. But he left us here with authority and with power. So we're talking about power to the people this morning. A true story that I read not too long ago, a pastor was getting on a plane and he was flying from one part of the country to another part of the country. And as he got on the plane, he sat down, there was a seat between him and uh, another man. And, and he said this other man looked very distinguished. He said it looked kind of like a, a college professor. Just, he said, I looked at him and he just looked smart. It just looked like somebody that you wanted to know. And the man was sitting there and he had uh, some note cards in his hands and he was reading off the note cards and he was mumbling some things underneath his breath. And um, it really intrigued this pastor. He really wanted to know what was going on. So when the, when the man kind of finished and put his note cards away, the, the pastor kind of leaned over and said, hey, looks like you're trying to memorize some things. And he said, no, I was praying. And the pastor said, well, I'm a man of faith and prayer myself. And the man looked at him with kind of a cold glance. And he said, I'm sure the prayer that you're talking about is not like the prayer that I'm talking about. He said, I have a specific assignment. And the pastor said, really? Well, what would that assignment be? He said, I'm praying for the destruction of Christian families. Now, that's not the fun type of story that I usually like to start my, my lessons out with, but I wanted to start right up front with something that was going to grab your attention. We are in a fight. We are in a battle. And sometimes we do not recognize it. We do not really realize how much the enemy hates us, how much he is out to destroy us, and how even this morning there are people gathered somewhere that are cursing and speaking against Christian churches, Christian families, and Christian pastors. And they're very dedicated about what they do. So this morning, I wanna talk about how do we combat that? Now, I'm not the type of person that goes around thinking there, there, there's a devil behind every bush. I'm, you know, every time my car won't start, I don't, you know, I don't jump out there and, and scream, devil, get out, or something like that. <laughs> but we do need to recognize that the enemy has done a very good job of getting us to ignore him. He's created it in such a way that it seems as if he's more of a myth than truth. When we think of the devil, we think of what, uh, you know, a red fellow with horns and a pitchfork and a tail and we see him, you know, every, every Halloween. In fact, what he's done is so convinced the Western world that, that he's just a legend 
that we think of the devil very much like we think of uh, Bigfoot and UFOs, right? People that believe in Bigfoot and UFOs, you're usually like, okay. <laughs> but if you start talking about the devil, guess what happens? We get lumped sometimes in that same category, right? And just to be sure, I want you to, to know that when I was taken away by that UFO that was being driven by the devil, that Bigfoot was on it, okay? All right. Hey, um, we, we are looked at at times by, by those outside of the church very much as especially those that are, that are really passionate about their, their walk with the Lord and their, their warfare. We're looked very much at times like Don Quixote um, coming up against his windmills and declaring that they're dragons and fighting these things. Yes, I'm throwing out some literature to you guys, okay? I don't wanna shock anybody, but I've actually read a book or two in my life. It's okay. <laughs> but... We really are in a battle. In the year 2000, I went to Africa. I went to the Republic of Benin, which is just a tiny, tiny little nation in the western part of Africa. And when I got off the plane and I was going into the, the, the terminal, and when I say terminal, I'm, I'm, I'm using a really big word because it, it, it was very much just a, a metal building. This is a very, very poor nation. But when, we, when I went in, there's this huge sign hanging just as you're going towards where you collect your luggage. And it said, welcome to Benin, the birthplace of witchcraft. And I realized that I wasn't in good old East Texas anymore. <laughs> there was something going on and you could feel it in the air. They took us to the place that we were staying and uh, I went to sleep that night very easily. I'd been up for over 24 hours. That's a long flight. If you've ever flown places, you know, you. You can't catch a, a nonstop flight from Dallas to Benin. I, I, I don't know why, <laughs> but we had to go several places to get there. So I fell asleep that night, and some, somewhere in the middle of the night, I'm awakened. And this big, bright moon is just flooding light into the room that I'm in, and I open my eyes, and there is a black cat sitting right on my tummy. And being a man of faith and power, I screamed like a girl. <laughs> and I brushed that cat off of me. I turned on the light and stood on my bed looking for it. But I couldn't find the cat. I got off the bed and I looked underneath the bed, no cat. I went into the bathroom, no cat. I looked to see if for some reason the door was open. No, the door was closed. No cat. And of course, I first start telling myself, well, this, you just made this up. You were just dreaming. If I had not have brushed the cat off, if I had not felt it on my arm, I may have been able to convince myself that, but I felt it on my arm when I was knocking that cat off of me. 
Needless to say, I did not sleep the rest of the night. But when I got up the next morning and I went to breakfast with the, the missionary, he said, well, how did you sleep? And, and quite sheepishly, I told him the story thinking he was gonna think that I was crazy or something. And he just shook his head and he goes, you know, when Westerners come, the enemy usually does something to them the first night because he's trying to scare them so they won't be effective while they're here. I go, he's doing a good job. <laughs> So I, was, I was a little freaked out. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting people. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, this is, this, this is Paul that Roger was talking about just a few minutes ago. He's writing this, telling the church, stop fighting with one another, stop fighting with people that are outside the church and recognize where the real battle is. The real battle is against principalities and powers. So as we're gonna look at a few things this morning, there's five things that I want you to know Five things that I want you to know. When, when we start talking about some of these things, people can get kind of, ooh, you know, talk about something happy because I want to be happy this morning. Well, I want you to be happy when you hear these five things that I'm going to tell you. Before we, we, we get into to, to really the spiritual warfare part of it, there's five things I want you to know. First of all is the enemy is outnumbered. The enemy is outnumbered. The Bible tells us that when Satan fell, he took one-third of the angels with him. So even by that, there are two-thirds that are already still with us. But here's a great illustration in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 14. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses, chariots, and fire. Chariots of fire. There are more on our side than's on the enemy's side anyway. So the first thing we need to know is that we outnumber him, so we are not gonna operate out of fear. If we're living in such a place where we're only looking at what we can see, then we may operate out of fear. There's a reason that the Bible tells us to live by faith and not by sight. Now, I'm not saying we walk around and ignore everything that's going on, but it's, it's one of our freedom principles that we teach that people can only see what they can see, so therefore they think that's all there is to see. But God wants to take us up a little bit higher, so what we're seeing is not just what we could see then, it's what we can see from God's perspective. 
Because when we begin to see from God's perspective, we will see and we will understand that there is more on our side, that, that there is already victory on our side. So we won't be operating from a place of fear. And also, we don't want to be spiritually blind. Elisha prayed for his servant and said, Lord, open his eyes. We need to pray that same prayer. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see what you want me to see. And when I say see, I totally understand. Not everybody, including myself, gets to see deep things in the spirit realm. I know people that, that see some wild things in the spirit realm. I don't always see those things. But I do recognize, I do understand, and I do discern some things that are around me. And we want to be that way. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see. Help me to understand what's going on around me so I'm not just absolutely focused on this problem that is right in front of me. All right? Okay, here's the second thing I want you to know. The answer is on the way. Daniel 10, verse 12. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. This is the angel that the Lord had sent to, to speak to Daniel. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and humble yourself before our God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. For 21 days, hey, hear this. When did he say that God sent the answer? The moment he prayed. The moment that he prayed. Some of you just need to be convinced that God hears your prayers. Sometimes we feel like that our prayers aren't getting beyond the ceiling. Sometimes we don't, we don't believe that God is listening to us. But God listens to his kids. You can go, well, yeah, but you don't know what I did last week. So? So? I have yet to find a place in the Bible that says just because you blew it last week, God's not listening to you this week. In fact, it says that he will listen to you. God is listening, God hears. So since we know God is listening and God hears, don't get frustrated. How frustrating would it have been for, for Daniel, who needed an answer immediately, to know that it, it wasn't there for 21 days, he's still praying and he's not hearing. What's going on, what's going on? Don't get frustrated. Don't be sidetracked. You keep praying, you keep pushing in. You keep doing what you need to do. In World War II, there, there was a, uh, the 101st Airborne that uh, they had gone into a battle. Turned out to be the Battle of the Bulge, but they didn't know that at the time. I guess we give names afterwards. But they had been called off of leave and they had been sent straight into battle. They didn't have the right equipment. They didn't have enough supplies. They didn't have enough ammunition. In fact, they didn't even have winter coats. We're talking about December in Europe. I don't know if you've ever been around uh, uh, some of these places, Germany, Luxembourg, where they, were, where they were fighting. It's cold in the wintertime. So 11,000 men were sent into battle and 55 to 60,000 men came against them. And in fact, they surrounded them. 
And for well over a week, these men fought off every attack of the enemy. Every time the enemy came against them, every time the enemy tried to crush them, in fact, when the enemy came along and said, why don't you just surrender? The general that was in charge, his answer when the, when the Germans said, hey, will you surrender? He said, nuts. In other words, heck no, we're not quitting. We don't give up. We've got to have that same heart about us. In fact, when the 101st Airborne was liberated, they said, we didn't need your help. You didn't have to come get us. You should have been fighting somewhere else. We were okay. You need to understand that even if it feels like the enemy is surrounding us, don't get frustrated. Don't get off the plan of God. Don't stop pressing through. Because there is victory. Third thing I want you to know, and I'm trying to move fast here. Third thing I want you to know is Satan cannot match God's power. Luke 10, 17, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I know I say that every week, but this is one of my favorite scriptures because it is so visual and it is so impactful. Just think about this for just a minute. Satan said, I am going to take my throne and I'm gonna put it above the most highs. And what happened? He fell like lightning. Lightning moves fast. If you're not catching this, Sometimes we, oh, there's this cosmic battle going on between good and evil and sometimes God wins and sometimes the devil wins and we don't know who's gonna win in the end. Baloney. Like lightning he fell. Lightning moves at about 300,000 miles a minute or a second, something like that. I I haven't been in class in a long time, sorry. It moves fast. Fast. When Satan said, I'm going to come against God, he fell fast. There wasn't a battle. There there, there wasn't an almost Satan won. There wasn't a thought that Satan was going to win this thing. Like that. He was destroyed. He was thrown down. He was nothing. Okay? So since we understand that, that Satan cannot match God's power, we understand that Jesus has already defeated Satan, right? So that's the fourth thing. Jesus has already defeated Satan. Colossians 2.15. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Satan is already defeated. He is already defeated. There's a man named Smith Wigglesworth who was a revivalist at the beginning of the 20th century. Just a a man who operated in great power, great miracles. I mean, I've read several uh, biographies on him and I've read several of his books and you're just going like, good Lord. Could this stuff really happen? Well, there's a story that, that one night that he was asleep in his bed And Satan himself showed up in his room. I don't know about you. I've been in some places where there was some funky stuff going on and all the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you're like, I don't know if I want to be in here, Jesus, help me. You know, that that type of thing. Well, as the story goes, 
Smith Wigglesworth is asleep. Satan comes into his room. Smith wakes up, looks at the devil and goes, oh, it's just you, and rolls over and goes back to sleep. Because he knew that Satan was already defeated. All Satan has is a bunch of bravado. All he's got is a bunch of talk. He has no authority in your life that you do not give him. And the only way that he can get it is to get you to get into fear and talk you into it. Okay? So understand, Satan is defeated. And the fifth thing I want you to see is that we operate through God's authority. We operate through God's authority. Why is somebody texting me in the middle of church? What is... It's not one of you, but that's okay. Because I'd call you out. It's like, shut up, Pastor Chris. From Anonymous. I'm like, who is that? We operate through God's authority. 1 Corinthians 2.17. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Let me read that again. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority. Say Christ's authority. authority. So if we're operating in Christ's authority, whose authority do we not have to operate in? Mine. Yeah, yeah, Satan. (laughs) I don't have to operate in my authority. My authority. I don't have a whole lot of authority. Okay? As human beings, as just, I'm just talking about being human beings, The devil is not scared of you. He's not. There were seven sons of a a priest in the book of Acts who decided they were gonna come up against um, a demonic infested man. And they say, we command you to come out of him in the name of Jesus who Paul is preaching about. And that devil said, Jesus I know. Well, you know he knew Jesus because he had shamed him openly. (laughs) Paul, I have heard about, but who are you? (laughs) They didn't have any authority. They were not operating in Christ's authority. And it says that when you operate in your own authority, the same thing can happen to you. It says that the devil jumped on them, beat them up, and sent them out naked. Nobody wants to see that, okay? (laughs) So none of that. We, operated in, we operate in delegated authority. Let me illustrate this for you. When we leave church today, some of you are gonna go up uh, the loop, you're gonna go up Broadway, you go up somewhere, sooner or later you are gonna come across a traffic light, correct? Yes, and what happens if that traffic light is not working? If the traffic light is completely out, we hope everybody does the right thing, but eventually there will come a Tyler police officer to stand out there and he will direct traffic, correct? Now, if that police officer says, come on, what do you do? And when he does this, what do you do? Now, do you really believe that that young man or lady that is standing out there putting up their hand could stop your car from going through that intersection? Couldn't do it in themselves, could they? But the authority is in the badge. 
The authority is in the, the, the city of Tyler says, I can put up my hand and tell you to stop. Now, if we're walking around too big for our britches and we're trying to tell the devil this, that, and the other, and we're trying to do it in our own strength, guess what he's going to do? He's going to drive his car right over you. But when we say stop, and we're using the authority that God has given us, we're saying stop in the name of Jesus. And there is an understanding and a power behind what we're saying. Guess what he has to do? He has to stop. Because I'm not doing it in my own strength. I'm not doing it in my own authority. I'm doing it according to the authority of the Lord. So we are in a battle. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. Roger's texting me now. <laughs> Uh, thank you, sir. I will. He said, preach it. I'm going, I am preaching it. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to prepare. You need to understand that we are going to have battles in this life. If you've lived more than 10 or 15 minutes, there's probably been a battle in your life. If you're married, there are battles in your life. Right? And it's all her fault. <laughs> We're going to have battles, but it's what we're doing right now that determines whether we're going to win the battles. I read a story in National Geographic. It was talking about uh, uh, the Alaskan bull moose. Yes. And when these mooses, moosen, whatever the, whatever the plural of moose might be, many, much moosen, when, these, when, when the moose would get together in, in the fall, the, 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 the big bull moose would come out and they're fighting. And it's the one with the, the biggest antlers and the biggest bulk about him. He's gonna win. But this, this story pointed out that it wasn't in the fall that that moose was winning his battle. It was back in the spring and the summer that he was winning his battle because the moose that ate the biggest diet, that went after everything, he was gonna put on bulk, he was gonna grow his antlers, and the moose that didn't eat an adequate diet was gonna be weak and skinny and get his behind kicked. Now we, we need to have at least as much sense as a bunch of moosin, right? <laughs> Spiritual battles await us. And I'm telling you, the enemy is picking a time when he is going to attack. And we will be victorious or we may fall. But much of it depends on what we're doing right now. What we're doing right now before the battle begins. Enduring faith, strength, and wisdom for trials are best developed before they're needed. Before they're needed. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. Now, just real quickly here. Got four more things, and I'm done. I'm going to give you principles for effective prayer, because this is where we fight. We don't fight with attitude. We don't fight looking at the person across the church that said something about my kid. We don't fight with people on, on, on the job that's talking about us behind our back. We fight in the spirit realm. And the way we fight is in prayer.
So I'm gonna give you four principles for effective prayer and then we're gonna be done. First, pray in faith. Pray in faith. That seems very, very simple, but most people don't pray in faith. James 1.6 says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts it is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Most people, most Christians, good meaning, godly people, think going to the Lord and whining is prayer. Or going to the Lord and begging is prayer. But how do we pray? Now, there's no, I go to the Lord and whine all the time, okay? But I don't leave it at that. I go to the Lord all the time and say, Lord, it's that woman that you gave me. <laughs> but I don't leave it there. Hey, if you need to get some stuff off your chest, it's a whole lot better to say it to, to, to the Lord than to somebody else, somebody that can't handle it. Pour out your hurts, pour out, pour out your disappointments to the Lord, but don't leave it at that. Let it turn into prayer. Let it turn into praise. So how can we be sure that we're praying in faith? And that's principle number two is you pray the word. Pray God's word. When you pray God's word, you know that you're praying his will. I hear people all the time say, well, I just don't know if it's God's will to do this in my life. Well, if we have scripture, it's God's will, right? Yes. Take the scripture to the Lord. I remind the Lord, not that he needs to be reminded, not that he has forgotten, but as I take it to the Lord, I'm reminding myself. God's word says this. God's word says this. God's word says this. And even though my emotions want to float over into this and go, Lord, David did it, so don't be pointing your fingers at me. David, David, David said things like, Lord, break all their teeth out. Because that would make me happy right now if you would just break all their teeth out. And, and our emotions can float over that way, but when we pull it back in and say, Lord, your word says, your word says, your word says, then I know that I have God's will and God's way. It's the way that the Old Testament preachers and prophets prayed. It's the way that Jesus prayed. It's the way that Paul prayed. And when you have scripture to stand on, it strengthens your faith. Number three, pray in Jesus' name. Pray in Jesus' name. John 14, 14. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. A lot of people don't pray in Jesus' name. It's not like it's magic words, but that, that's where you're putting in the authority that God has given us. I quite often start my prayers, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I come before you in the name of Jesus. For whatever it is that I'm gonna be praying about, I come in the name of Jesus. So don't just tack it on at the end, in Jesus' name, amen, and we're done. 
Understand the authority and the power behind the name of Jesus. So when you speak it, you're saying, I am a child of God and I'm using the family name. And use it. When I was growing up, when I was, when I was just a, a little bitty kid, and we would go back to my parents' hometown of Jefferson, my dad had been this superstar football player. My one grandfather owned the newspaper. The other grandfather was well-known in town. So I'd go around, I'd just throw my name out. Yes, I am James Bowers' boy. Bow before me. <laughs> People would stop me and go, I mean, your dad was the best football player I had ever seen. What do you think happens when we throw out the name of Jesus? When we throw out the name of Jesus, demons tremble. Especially when they know that you know. <laughs> demons tremble. And here's the fourth one right now. Pray with others. Pray with others. Matthew 18, 19. So I also tell you this, if any two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Pray with others, but pray with others that understand step one, two, three, and four. You don't have to, to, to talk to everybody about everything that is going on in your life because some people, they're just... They can't help build your faith. Some people will talk you out of faith. But pray with people that can agree with you and understand that unity in agreement in prayer increases the anointing. Deuteronomy 32 tells us that one can chase a thousand, but two, ten thousand. So unity in prayer does not just increase the anointing, it multiplies it. We're in a battle and God intends for us to win. God has given us everything that we need to win. So let's do what he left us here on this earth to do and that's enforce the defeat of Satan at every opportunity you get remind him how defeated he is in your life and in those around you amen let's bow our heads